you guys want to give yeah. quick intros. Um, some of them know you. Some of them might be um, getting to know you for the first time. Yuri, do you want to go first? Yeah, my name is Yuri Park. Um, this is Ruby, our fourth and our last. Don't be so sure about that. We say fault and no more. Um, so we have four beautiful children. They're all in there with Jay and Debbie's kids. We have a almost 10-year-old, Vera, who's our daughter, Ezra, who's all seven, Benaya, three, almost four, and then Ruby is our 16-month-old. Um, so I know, obviously, is my husband. Yeah, we've been in YWAM Kona for, we, Sano and I did our discipleship training school here in 2005, separately. Met here, we're one of those campus couples. Um, if you're single, ready to be told. This is your spot right here. It's be interesting for you. Um, yeah, we met here and got married here in 2009. And then we pioneered a couple ministries out in Atlanta and YWAM based in Kansas City. And then the Lord brought us back here to run with the birds. So we're, we're super privileged to be back. We've been here for almost four years now. Uh, just piggybacking on that, married 12 years, more in love than ever before, and uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, don't let me start gushing here. But uh, and um, we've been with YWAM 16, almost 17 years. Uh, been back here in Kona for four, and uh, Andy and I help oversee the campus. Yeah, so it was such a privilege to be here with you guys. Um, real quick. When uh, Christy first came, you know, we were introduced through a guy named Daniel Lim, who's uh, one of the leads at IHOP KC. And while she was in her DTS, she, was like, she came to our house one night, and we were just dreaming about uh, tech and its influence on the Great Commission and what God's doing in not only Silicon Valley, but so many places, big tech startups and so on. And we were just so stirred, like talking and talking and talking all night and really felt inspired by the Holy Spirit. And uh, a couple weeks later, she came to, uh, to me and she was like, hey, we should pray about having a tech gathering in Kona. I was like, oh, yeah, let's do it. This was probably in February, right? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Maybe the summertime's great. You know, give us a little time to plan. And she's like, what about in two weeks? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So I kind of gave the like religious checkbox, like, hey, let's just pray into it. But when we started asking the Lord and praying into it, the Holy Spirit spoke so strongly. And he, he said a few, a few things. The first thing for me that really touched my heart and it's kind of stayed with me since, he says, Sono, these are people that I immensely love. And I want you to, uh, to treat them as like you would your frontier missionaries in the Muslim world. Wow. Like people who have been in some of the most hostile, difficult, even anti-Christian environments. Because they have been there faithful to me, and that I want to bring them here to encourage, to encourage them, and to all the other things. And so we said, "Hey, let's just pull the trigger and see what happens. See who shows up." And it was incredible. Uh, the group that came. Uh, many of you are here again, repeating, which is so great seeing you guys like Nick and others. And um, and uh, we're just so thrilled to have you here. And to have this round again, and possibly again in January, and this this uh, road just continues to get broader and broader, bigger and bigger, and so many things are already springing forth from it. And I uh, just want to say that it's so great to have you guys here. I know that's not an introduction to myself, but I just wanted to say that. So, uh, yeah, we're so encouraged by this time and for us to be together. And so let's uh, let's continue these 
Good times. That was good. Yeah. Wow. Love that. Amen. Yeah, shut up. So yeah, so honored to be with you guys. I'm, I just so resonate with everything that Suno shared. I was gone when you guys were here. We were on a family road trip going across the U.S. and um, heard about everything that had happened. We're just just blown away. So so excited that you're here again, and we really feel this is such a God orchestrated relationship, and we're really excited and open to see what the Holy Spirit does. You know, everything good comes out of relationships. So. Yeah. Um, just really open-hearted, really open-handed about that. So um, Holly and I met in YWAM as well. So we've been in YWAM about 23 years now. We got married when we were 20, just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Wow. And uh, we have seven children. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> just, just as relative in COVID. Um, seven kids. Um, uh, two are adopted, four biological, and one is a, a little foster buddy, a little two-year-old. So he's getting reunited with his mom probably in the next number of months. He's been with us for about six months, though, so we have seven. And um, have been in Kona for about 13 years, um, helping lead this community. And uh, Holly's originally from Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Mennonite, yeah. Mennonite country. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm originally from Alaska, um, well, the real holy land. <laughs> the New Jerusalem. <laughs> the New Jerusalem. I mean, I didn't want to go there, but since you did. <laughs> no, we have, we have good theology, don't worry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're, we love being here. We love what we get to do. You know, a big part of our passion is, is the next generation and uh, seeing Gen Z, young millennials empowered and, and launched and activated into their calling. So yeah. this is so exciting because of the impact that this room has on the next generation specifically. And uh, so we're just, we're really pumped to get some time together. Yeah, I don't know that I have much more to add mm -hmm. to what Andy said, but I'm really blessed to be here. Our oldest is 17 and has definitely like ushered us into this world of technology and TikTok. social media and TikTok like <laughs> and like has helped us to appreciate it maybe more than we did when he first got social media you know all of it but really cool to see the way God's gripped his heart for using it for the gospel and so yeah it is we were just standing up with a friend John Mark and he turned around and isn't it amazing to realize there are leaders like this yeah. in this world and yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. so it brings so much hope <laughs> it's like Incredible. okay God's, God's, God's got it. So yeah. Good. Amen. I met Christy too when Loloa, our little foster buddy, walked randomly into her room. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was immediately so sweet, picks him up, starts praying over him. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> 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 He'll capture your heart. Oh, yeah. He's oh, the he's table. the best. <laughs> he's the best. Um, it is really a privilege to have you guys here with us. Um, just a quick note, and I really want to hear from them, but um, when I landed here at Owen Kona, I did not know what, what I was doing here, why I was here. I knew the word of the Lord had sent me here. I was confident in that. Um, but um, my heart was was still for our, our brothers and sisters who are laboring in the tech industry. And we... We're just welcomed with such open yeah. arms. Uh, not just open arms, guys, but like a love of the Father. And a love for people they hadn't met yet. Um, they didn't know us. Um, 
but they really truly carry the Father's heart for us <coughs> in a way that is supernatural. It is it is obviously um, birth and prayer and, and your own you know the own heart work that you guys have done over years, right? This isn't just something you can fabricate. And so I just want to really um, my first question is really just um, how would you maybe affirm us or or help us understand? Sorry, I can talk louder. Um, how would you affirm us or, or encourage us yeah. as um, sent ones um, into an influential place, apostles that are called a new territory? Um, because we, we largely, I think I can speak for most of us, have not had that affirmation or really even the revelation of that um, inside maybe traditional ministries or, or the churches that we come from. Um, not for any other reason other than YWAM Kona is, is are very much in part forerunners, especially in apostolic. And so can you guys just speak to that, um, potentially, like your vision for um, here? Yeah. So good. You go first, huh? Go for it. It's a loaded question and probably uh, with so many different layers. But I think um, if you look at traditional church, often at times, like, we have made a bigger deal about and and more sacred roles like as pastors or you know like hey if you want to go serve the lord go to seminary and get a degree and then pastor a church and i think in many ways it is um maybe unintentionally uh like devalued every believer who's who has a calling to be a sent one into whatever public space god might raise them to be in right and uh, I feel like a lot of times, especially leaders like yourselves who burn for the presence of God, who really want to see uh, true kingdom change, often at times are still, they're trying to find their place. Do I, if I want to serve the Lord and I love Jesus so much, do I just like, you know, like uh, help manage the parking lot or, you know, like help like just oversee the social media for my church? Or like, I really want to step into seeing like, being fully utilized transform nations you know create jobs whatever it might be it's like I feel at times you haven't been validated in that place and um, and so often at times when I think about calling you know like uh, it starts with first our purpose knowing that we were created for a relationship with God created for a relationship with one another then in the place of calling probably the next layer is that we have our biblical identity the moment that you and I were born again we are now sons, daughters, the bride of Christ, the royal priesthood, every believer a witness, every believer a discipler, whether that's on a Sunday church platform or whether that's in Silicon Valley and big tech and Microsoft or being Christians at Facebook. And then after that identity is really solidified, I think then we start stepping into like our own original design. Like what is, how did God uniquely knit me together in my mother's womb? Amen. Like what are the, like uh, I think Lou Engel says this, is that your mother's womb was God's art studio. He was making yes. a masterpiece. <laughs> and Ephesians 2.10 says that you are a masterpiece in the Lord and that God knit you together. So he's giving you gifts and callings that are irrevocable and that, that to apply those things now into final like assignments, you know, like, God-given birth assignments in public spaces, whether it's as a teacher or whether it's as a, you know, like an education or business or government or tech. And so I think it's important to understand that your everyone's calling is holy before the Lord. And everyone's unique path that he uh, lays out before us is so important for us to follow his voice to see happen. And you guys have the great joy, just like us as traditional missionaries, to be obedient to the Great Commission and to see like the kingdom of God actually advance in whatever public space he has entrusted you to be in. And it's important for us to see it that way. So that's why I think 
Andy and our and, and our families and our community are so encouraged by you guys yeah. being here and, and the stand that you've taken. And I think this is why the Lord, Holy Spirit spoke so strongly to me personally, saying, treat them like you would your frontiers. Mm-hmm. Because you guys have been holding the line of really the kingdom of God in some of the most like anti-Christian environments, you know, mm-hmm. and, and being true to be a faithful witness and to be bold about your faith and to see his kingdom come as will be done in those places. So so good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Wow. I love that. Maybe I could uh, kind of speak into that question a little bit from a roundabout way. Um, and my goal would just be to further empower you in what, what is biblical leadership really about. I think maybe we've done a bit too much with titles and we've made a bit too much of certain platforms like Sana was saying. And um, I find it really interesting that that Jesus never one time in the Gospels refers to leadership unless he's actually talking about the religious leaders and it was their title. So it just that's the only time literally the word leader is used by Jesus. And yet we've made a multi-billion dollar industry out of a word that Jesus doesn't even use. And yet multiple, multiple times Jesus talks about servanthood and he talks about serving and he talks about sacrifice and talks about sacrificial discipleship and impact. And so I just, I think some of what we have propped up in our modern culture is an upside down version of what Jesus actually created on the earth. And if you even, you know, look at all the leadership books that are out there right now, you might find one little chapter at the end of the leadership book called Servant Leadership, as if there was another form of leadership. (laughs) So I don't know what the other chapters are about, um, but we've turned Jesus's primary understanding of biblical leadership into one chapter of some leadership books out there. In fact, Hannah, my assistant who's here tonight, did research on the 10 most sold Christian leadership books in history. So they're the most read books on leadership from a Christian perspective. And we could only find one or two chapters in all of those books that even talked about servant-heartedness. And so it's no wonder that we've then propped up this system of leadership that's based more on charisma, based more on personality, based more on type A, based more on, I don't know, you, you know, some test, whatever that test might be, the personality profiles, I've never done one, so I don't, I, I just know there's a lot out there. And, and we've made a huge industry out of this. And how interesting that we have more leadership conferences, leadership podcasts, leadership books, leadership gatherings um, in, in, than ever in human history and the greatest vacuum of godly leadership in human history. We, we can't find a godly leader to barely to, to lead a, a state, to lead a, a government, to, you know, to lead an industry, um, to find godly leaders at the top of, of uh various industries is hard they're there but it's just hard why is it that we have this huge imbalance of the greatest resources of leadership we've ever had and the greatest vacuum at the same time and the reason that i would say all of that and the reason to me this is empowering is that um, we have elevated the wrong things and elevating those things disqualifies (coughs) almost every one of us in the room and that what we have elevated as the quintessential leader, for the most part, we're going to look at our resumes and go, well, I don't really fit that, and I don't really fit this personality profile, that test, this you know, <laughs> thing. My resume is not really going to get me anywhere. I guess I'm not a leader. But it's because we've propped up a false system of leadership. 
instead of getting back to the core of what Jesus taught, which was that it wasn't about servant leadership, it was leading servants. Everybody is a servant in the kingdom. And some are called to lead more, some are called to lead fewer, some are called to greater influence, but everybody's a servant. And I think when we, when we get that in our hearts, then everybody gets to play. Everybody's a leader because leading isn't top down. Leader, leadership isn't the strength of my personality. Leadership is, can I serve? Is there anyone around me that I could serve with the gospel, with love, with kindness? Is there a way I could serve my movement, my industry? Is there a way I could serve my community, my neighborhood? And um, that type of leadership is the leadership that's changed all of human history. But we are so top-heavy right now in this kind of top-down structure of leadership that we easily buy into the culture of the world and bring it into the culture of Christianity. And I think when we recover what Jesus taught in the scripture about leadership, we will also recover the true apostolic. And the true apostolic is not a roof to cover and command. The true apostolic is a doormat Come to on. serve and to make yeah, a way yeah. and to empower everybody yeah. around them. Yeah. And uh, that allows every yes. one of us to step into our God-given leadership calling because nobody in this room is disqualified from serving. Amen. Every Amen. one of Amen. us become qualified in Jesus' definition of leadership. And the apostolic is truly based on how many people can you serve in your lifetime. Come on. Because the apostolic is about multiplication. And you look at Paul's life, you look at some of the greatest leaders in history, um, they, they led from mass multiplication of servant-heartedness. Yeah. How many people could we serve in the kingdom with truth, with revelation, with the gifts of the Spirit, with the power of God, with the love of God, with the compassion of God? And that is apostolic multiplication, is the multiplication of a servant heart. And so to me, that when I look at you guys and, and think about the worlds you live in, how intimidating at times it could be to have a leadership that is over you, that is ungodly. Is there any way this is going to change? How will we ever see reformation? You have all these things in our mind, but we've got to flip this thing on its head because revival and reformation don't come from the top down. Revival right. and reformation come from the bottom up. Amen. And the early church was despised. They were rejected. They were, they were forsaken. They were the, the lowliest of the world. And they turned the whole world upside down from the bottom up. And in America, we cannot put our hope in leaders with titles, leaders that win elections, leaders with influence, leaders with the most followers. That has never defined leadership in human history, right? That's, that might be influence, but influence can be used for the wrong, can be used for the right. But godly leadership is not based on any of those metrics that we have placed it on. And because of it, then we get disqualified rather than recognizing true leadership begins at the very bottom. It's the grassroots. It's the ground up. And we flip nations on their head through serving, through grassroots, through simple obedience, through a whole army of servants beginning to change the culture, not because we finally got a saved guy in the CEO role. Does that make sense? We put so much hope in that. And then when it doesn't go that way, we lose hope. No, no, no. There's hope because you can serve tomorrow. There's hope because you can get up in the morning and share the gospel with someone. There's hope because you can just get up and simply obey God. That's the hope of the kingdom. Not the top guy being saved. 
not the quarterback pointing to heaven and we're like, praise God, there's a Christian on the field. Give me a break. <laughs> that, that, that's never led to revival in human history. It's the guys in the stands moving in servant-heartedness, loving the person next to them that brings the kingdom. Yeah. Not the guy that caught the touchdown and pointed to heaven and we take, we give, we take great comfort. There's a Christian in the NFL. <laughs> that's, that's not going to save America. That's not going to save America. A grassroots army of apostolically minded yeah. servant heart Leaders is hope for the nation. So good. So good. So good. Fire the channel. Okay, right. (laughs) That's you guys. That's all of us. Um, We didn't plan this question, but I'm going to take a hard right turn because I feel like you're on to something. I love what both of you said. Can you guys talk about the cost of godly leadership and the cost of being a forerunner? This might even be like where the wives can lean in here, but maybe if it's a testimony. And we don't have time to waste. Like, we're here, you guys. And um, some of us, like, have already walked in um, things that, you know, are cost, cost a lot, whether we personally or professionally. But can you guys talk towards just the cost of being a forerunner? Mm. And maybe how you, how you can get through that or even go advice. I'll, I'll, I'll go short, and then <laughs> Seno goes long on this one. <laughs> Holly and Yuri too, anything on this, but uh, it's such a great question. I don't uh, claim to have like really great revelation on it, but I think what, what comes to my mind is um, the passage in the end of Song of Solomon, which is this incredible story of this bride being wooed by this bridegroom and she's resistant through the whole story. There's awkwardness, there's shame, there's all this stories going on and it takes all the way to the end of the Song of Solomon for the bridegroom to finally win his bride. And it's this incredible story of marriage, but it's also this incredible metaphor between God and, and the church. And at the end of it, she makes this final statement where she, she finally pledges her love to the bridegroom. And she makes this, this is her declaration, place me like a seal on your arm, like a seal on your heart, for my love for you is as strong as death. Its jealousy is unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like the very flame of God. Rivers could not wash it away. Waters could not quench this love. And this mm. is the key. If one were to give me all the wealth of this world yes. for this love, I would be utterly ashamed. And that last statement to me was a life-changing revelation for me. It was a paradigm shift. And I realized that the, the work of the enemy for any of us in the room is not that tomorrow we would you know, become Buddhist. Like that's just not like the, probably the attack of the enemy on our lives. He's just like, worship a statue. Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) And and we're like an inch away and he's about to get us. So at some point the enemy looks at us and goes, I'm not going to get them to become Buddhists. He goes, so I'm going to change my strategy. As long as I can get them to be quiet and I can get them to be in, in just to, just to live their Christian life alone, as long as I can get them to simmer down, I win. I may not get them to be Buddhist, but if I can get them to live safe Christianity, I can still live this. And that last bit in the revelation, the bride to the bridegroom is this, it says, if someone were to come and offer me all the wealth of the world, in other words, to come with the wealth of the nations. We'll give you everything. You can own nations. You can own islands. We will give you the wealth of the world. And this is what the enemy says. I'll give you the wealth of the world. And I'm not asking you to renounce Christianity. I'm just asking you to be a safe Christian. I'm not asking you to become a Hindu. I'm not asking you to spit on the face of Jesus. He goes, I'll give you the wealth of the world if you'll just simmer down, calm down, and stop being so excited about God. (laughs) And that bride looks at that and goes, the wealth of the world? 
They go, and she's, she's embarrassed. She's like, you clearly don't know what I have. You think I would be tempted by the wealth of the world for the love that I have in my heart for the bridegroom? She, he goes, she goes, I'm ashamed. It's like you got a brand new Tesla and someone walks up to you and makes a big deal out of giving you a dollar for your Tesla. And you'd almost be embarrassed for them. Like, hey, is this a joke? And they're like, no, I will give you a dollar. And you're like, uh, okay, you know, like, this is kind of embarrassing. Like, I'm a little bit ashamed you're even offering that dollar. I know what this worth. You know what it's worth. And that's how she feels about the wealth of the world that she would simmer down in her love for God. So when I think of the cost, I, I don't honestly think of the cost. I don't know what we could pay for what we've gained. I don't know what we could give. And I think sacrifice, we have, we have devalued the treasure of intimacy with Jesus, and we have overplayed the sacrifice. Wow. I, just, I just don't think that Jesus right. is like patting any of us on the back. I just think he's like, I'm the greatest treasure you could ever have. Come on. Right? And I, so I've just never felt, of sure, have we done things that maybe others haven't done or things that others would say were sacrificial? I honestly have never looked back and went like, wow, God, I really did a lot for you in that. I, what can I do for what I've gained? How can I possibly? So is sacrifice even, is it even a correct vocabulary word? Because sacrifice would insinuate I gave up something better than what I gained. That's sacrifice, right? Right? Isn't that the very definition? I gave up my seat at the table for standing. I gave up the meal to not eat. That would be real sacrifice, right? I gave my brand new car and I traded in for a year 1994 Honda Accord, you know? Like that's sacrifice. So does that ever really exist in the kingdom? (laughs) I'm just saying, does it ever really exist? Not if we know the treasure of intimacy with Jesus. So it's why Paul says, I consider everything garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of the, of the yes. knowledge of Christ Jesus. He goes, I consider it rubbish Praise that I will have gained Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So that, that would be my, my ethos on sacrifice. And certainly I've seen, you know, Holly has been a tremendous example to me on that, even with all of our kids and all these adoptions and all these foster buddies. Um, none of it's a sacrifice. How could we not give what we've gained, you know? So that was a short answer. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that probably went a little long. Yeah, that was so good. good. I just so good. Add, like not so to devalue. Good. I think of something like what the believers in Afghanistan yeah, are facing yeah, not right to now. Like it. that's crazy. Yeah. You know, like that's they've lost family members. They're like there's real there, pain. There's yeah. So there's it's like not mourning. devaluing that. There's people who have faced really hard things and have said like Jesus, yeah. I'm choosing you in yeah. the midst of something that's ex- and even Jesus mourns over it yeah know? so it's yes. like there we are like that. also admit like we have never faced anything yeah, <laughs> you know like and that's a real like cost that I would say I wouldn't even we would yeah be in utter pride saying we've ever had to face anything real yeah, extremely costly yeah. when I think of like what's going on yeah. in somewhere like Afghanistan yeah it's not devaluing so, that but if you talk to the persecuted church, they're saying yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. I just yeah. thought it wouldn't no, make that's it really feel important. like, no, it's, we're just it's happy. It's flippant. We're happy yeah. about everything. Very it's important. Like, no, that's like, that God's it's heart's deep. grieving over that, it's deep. too, you know, so. It's yeah. Really yeah, very good. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, Andy hit it on there. I was reminded of a story, um, so I'll just 
share a few. Um, you know, a number of years ago, we worked really closely with the underground house church in China, and it was it was quite incredible. Like God really spoke to us. He said, "Hey, Sono, they're like the church of uh, Philadelphia in Revelation chapter two. It's like they've overcome so much." And uh, he's like, and I've given them the key of David that will open doors that no man can close. He's like, Sono, you're like the church of Laodicea. You need to buy gold that's refined in the fire. There's something that they have that you need. Wow. And there's a man um, named Peter Shu who became a dear friend. He doesn't even speak English. But uh, in the 90s, he was the most wanted man ever in China. So think about it. Largest nation in the world, most wanted man in the largest nation in the world, all because of the price that he's praying for the sake of the gospel. Like, I think imprisoned five different times over 25 years, was homeless 20 years. Just telling the wildest stories, right? Like, they would do all their baptisms for their believers in the winter where it was minus 20, just wow. to kind of weed out who might really be following. I don't even agree for it, you know? Because I'm like, well, is that, should you really be? You know, <laughs> like, so, but I'm just saying, like, um, as, I, as I got close with him, no one would ever know who he is. Honestly, if I looked at him, he might be like a waiter at a Chinese restaurant. And I remember first time we embraced, I felt all these bumps on his back. And it was where he got lashed. And, and um, I say this not because uh, I, I felt like when I was with him, I was hanging out with Christ. He's the most Christ-like person I've ever met. So meek, so humble. And I remember him sharing with me a few stories, and so I just want to share those with you. Um, our community's heard me talk about it, but like I remember one time I was like, "Hey, tell me the worst place you ever slept, you know, for the sake of the gospel as a missionary." You know, like we've gone to remote places. We're just like I went to Tonga, which is it was tiny little remote island in the Pacific, sleeping in a village for six months with no electricity, no running water. You know, and I was like, man, I've done this for Jesus and for the sake of the lost, you know, like, tell me what you've, you know, like where you've slept. And, and he was like, oh, I remember one time I was in prison. There was a hundred of men who slept in one concrete room and they all got a square about this large. And on the end of the square was a ring like this and that where the chain would go through. And he said in the corner of the room, there was a hole in the wall or a hole in the ground where everyone would use the bathroom. He's like, and so many people get sick and he's like, everyone would fight for the highest place in the room, which was the opposite corner. And he said the whole time he was in prison that he slept by the hole. And I asked him, like, why would you do that, Peter? Like, why would you sacrifice like this? And he looked at me kind of strange and he said, Sono, if Jesus was here in this prison, that's where he would sleep because it's the lowest place in the room. He's like, don't you know that? Um, that our goal is to be like him, you know, and to live like him. Wow. And he, he didn't say it like, hey, look at this thing that I've done. Mm. It was just more like, it's my joy to become a little bit more like the man. And, um, and I remember I said, Peter, tell me the most intimate moment you've had with Jesus. Like, I want to know, like, what drives someone to live this way that's so counterintuitive and that, of course, like, I don't know if I would do the same thing. And he told me, he's like, yeah, when I was in prison, one time I was chained to this metal accordion door. And he, they would open this door and it would pull him out like this and he would be hanging there, extended off the ground. 
And he hung there at one point in time, like six, seven hours. He said his internal organs were being stretched even. And he said while he was in this excruciating pain, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he said, Peter, now you know how I felt when I was hanging on the cross. And then he said, and when I was hanging there, I was thinking about you. And he was reminded of John 17, where Jesus is praying to the point of sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's praying, he's praying for all of us, every future believer. And, you know, Jesus prays, Father, this is my desire, is that they would be with me where I am. I and them, they and me, us and you, so that the world may know that you have sent me. And he was saying, like, he was touching the affections of God. And his desire to be reconciled to a world that does not know him. That it would cost him his very own son. And it would cost Jesus this great suffering. And Peter went on this long extended journey. He was like, he's like, don't you know that we have the joy of carrying our cross too daily? Following him. For those who try to gain life will actually lose their life. But those who lose their life for my sake will actually gain true life. And, you know, I've preached on that verse, but when he said it to me in that moment, I was like, this man has touched something in, this, in, the, in what God has given to him that I have not yet touched. And I was like, Lord, I long to know that. And just to, so good. to piggyback off the Song of Songs, you know, the Song of Solomon's eight chapters. The first four chapters are all about an immature bride. And she keeps asking God, like what, like, what is my inheritance in this bridegroom? Like, what is my inheritance in him? But she kind of takes a turn and becomes a mature bride. And the second half of the book is, the question's different. It's not, what is my inheritance in him? But the question is, what is his inheritance in me? And what can I now give? And what is the joy of my giving to the, to the glory of this man? And so I think my perspective is the same. And I'm a lot weaker than Andy, so I complain a lot more. And you know, I drag my feet a lot more. And whine a lot on the way. <laughs> but, but I'm trying to grow in that understanding of the joyful, not just counting a cost, but the joyful paying of a price. Wow. Yeah. Can you guys talk about um, just the importance and the critical part of just your private devotional lives and your prayer lives and just the importance of prayer. Mm. Super good. <laughs> it's everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> really everything. Um, maybe real, I'll try and be real brief on this, but Holly and I went through like a, I would say a pretty life-altering season after about three, four years in YWAM where we were really going after fruitfulness and fruitful outreaches and not seeing it. It was a huge chasm between what we'd read in the New Testament and what we were seeing in our own lives. And it kind of drove us to really get way more desperate and hungry for God. And um, I thought we were pursuing fruitfulness because that was the visible gap. But what I didn't realize is that, that the, real, the real gap was actually intimacy. And um, for me, a lot of it came through diving into history. I love history, revival history, reformation history, missions history. And same deal in that season, because I was so discontent with the fruitfulness we were seeing in our in the outreaches and the nations and our students' lives. It was just I just knew there had to be so much more. 
that led me to read all this revival history stuff and dive into the last 500 years plus a lot of time in the early church and the, the mystic movements in history and just trying to understand like what leads to fruitfulness but again the more i read about these guys in history the more i realized that very few of them pursued fruitfulness most of them pursued intimacy and out of intimacy so they saw great fruitfulness and i think the one that marked me the most is i had spent a good bit of time studying the moravian movement and count zinzendorf and Hernhut, germany and really touched the whole world considered the first protestant missions movement and it was in the 1700s and uh, i had the chance to go to Herrenhut and to see what had happened it's this real tiny town in germany and uh, most germans have never even heard of it uh, it's way off the beaten path and it takes forever to get there and it's a tiny little town has like two restaurants and the it has a, a an insane asylum that burnt down and all those people now live in homes and it's like really interesting you <laughs> know for real it's very unique and yet all the history is there and i remember standing on the hill overlooking Hernhut that I had read that Count Zinzendorf stood on in 1722 and it was a big forest and yet he had a dream in his heart that a Christian community could live there that could live the scriptures that could live vibrant prayer and live in Christian unity that, that, that if they could do that they could touch the whole world and um, I stood on that hill looking down on that little community and, and I, I something shifted inside of me because what I stood up there thinking about was vision but what I stood up there hearing from the Lord was that this was not Zinzendorf's vision, that Zinzendorf's breakthrough was, was the fire in his heart for Jesus. That he didn't lead out of great strategy and great vision. It was the quality of his heart yeah. that led to the Moravian breakthrough. And it really was a historic revival. So I think in that, everything changed for us because we had been, we, we really drank the Kool-Aid in YWAM. We were like, the harder, the better, the more unreached, the better, the worse the food, the better. Like, let's just go. If they've never heard, we won't sleep. Like, we'll take whatever. We have to hike there for years. We're going to do it. It was just like, we just drank the Kool-Aid. Like, let's go. And in that, we some, which is, was, there's a godly element to that, but we kind of skipped past the importance of, of really deep, profound intimacy with Jesus. And the more I studied the most fruitful eras of history, the more I found that those that catalyzed them were at the end of the day, they were just intimate. They just loved Jesus. And they didn't really have great strategies all the time. And they had no leadership training in those days. And you know what I mean? There were, and and they, they changed all of human history. And so I think it is to that question, it is so much more about the quality yes. of, our, of our walk with Jesus than it is the strategy of our vision. Amen. It's so much more about what's inside of us in terms of the knowledge of God and an intimate knowledge of God than it is what we could put on a PowerPoint or a whiteboard about our desire for impact. And that's where I would say the true apostolic doesn't start on whiteboards and PowerPoints. The true apostolic starts in the secret place. And um, everything flows on, from that. Man. So I Come think on. that that's not as super practical. That's maybe more the principle or the value is that it's everything. It's everything. There isn't anything there's without that. Um, you know, we could have a lot of good things, but if it, if it doesn't include that, what will it amount to in the end? And so I think the secret place is, it's everything. I don't know how to overemphasize that, but it's like, it's an oasis. It's like, it's glory. It's the greatest joy. If I, you know, I, we're all in this room wrestling to carve out more time for that, right? I mean, that's our tension, isn't it? 
is we want more time, but the, the more that we prioritize that and the quality of, of the secret place, everything else will flow from that. Jesus says, abide in me and you'll be fruitful. Mm-hmm. And he set that out knowing that you will, as humans, have a propensity to pursue fruitfulness. So I'm going to build the economy of the kingdom so I get what I want, which is your heart. And so you're not going to be able to be fruitful unless I get your heart. Because I set the parameters. And I didn't do this just so we'd be fruitful. I did this so that I would have your heart. And so the, the parameters of fruitfulness are abiding. They're intimacy. And those are God's rules. And he sets the rules. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie's solid. So good, bro. Um, I'll just add a a couple of thoughts to that, but I think Andy really covered um, the value. Um, Can I add add one thing? Yeah. There's a conundrum in that intimacy, though. It's like you have seasons or maybe spurts, and it's like you're, like you said, you're battling that tension. It's like, how do you overcome it? Where it is this lifestyle? Yeah. You know, like, I feel like a lot of us in the room just have these seasons of beads. Yeah. But it's like, how do you feel like you? I love that, and and don't take this wrong, but just just do away with seasons, like because if you buy into that, you'll always be thinking like, well, winter's coming, you know, and you and we kind of have these like self, you know, self uh, prophesied um, dark nights of the soul. I mean, I don't know, I just don't see it in Jesus's life. You know what I mean? So. It's like Nacho it's always Libre. Warm in Hawaii, bro. Like, <laughs> Nacho Libre thinks he's way out in the desert, and he's yeah, not. Right? You know, he's, he's like right there. He's right there. So, so just be careful that you don't put yourself in the desert when when you're really in the Father's house. Wow. You know what I mean? So, and don't over evaluate how the secret place feels. Just if you will stay near the fire, you will be warmed by its heat. So don't ask how it's going. Don't over evaluate how you feel. Don't ask. You know, I've been diving in the scriptures I don't know if I'm getting anything don't even ask just keep going I'm not really feeling prayer it's not about feelings that's okay just keep praying you're going to feel it enough that it will be rewarded along the way but we're not in it for feeling we're not in it for emotion those those are the caboose they're not the locomotive right so we drive the train by faith and, and our emotions follow so the secret place has got to be driven by faith that alarm clock goes off it doesn't matter how I feel I'm drawing near to the fire. I'm going to put myself in front of that thing until it affects me, right? And it might be days of boredom, and then the next thing you know, it's like God just breaks in. I think the greatest treasures are just on the other side of a thin veil of boredom. And we think that veil is a brick wall. It's not. It's a thin veil. But all those things are just waiting for those that will persevere. Stay the course. Don't, you know, don't... Don't prophesy winter. Just stay near the fire, and it it will have its effect. So good. So good. good. And I'm going to ask a question because that's really good. So, you know, remember Brother Lawrence practicing his presence, right? Yeah. So I always like to equate it to to working on your trade craft. Intimacy is like a trade craft. You know, practicing it, you know, and, you know, being intentional with it and keep pushing forward into it, carving at that time and having a mobile feast kind of. You know, throughout the day, just eating yeah. and nibbling and biting on that intimacy, you know, one year, two years for people who are growing in the Lord. I don't know about you, but like as time goes on, there's that rhythm and cadence we get into, and it just becomes part of us. Is that what you've kind of experienced? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you keep practice, you keep putting the work in, yeah. and you just keep doing it, you keep drawing close, and it becomes, 
you know, the 21 day habit thing that they talk about, do something for 21 straight days, it becomes yeah. a habit. But you do it for 21 years, it's a great habit. You do it for 30 years. A lot of our fathers and mothers in the faith, they've taught us how to continue to just make Jesus the mark and the goal, to make knowing God your life goal. And then everything else kind of is... is 100%. Right? Practicing it and just putting the work in. Yeah, and, and knowing abiding is not a substitute for being in the secret place. And being in the secret place is not a substitute for abiding. It's like uh, if I was just right now and I you know, went home and was like, Holly, wasn't that a great date? And she's like, we were with 40 other people. <laughs> so right? so we're, there's a sense of abiding. It's, we're, we're best friends. It's so good to be in the room together. But nothing replaces that we need to be alone together. So it's always both and. And I think sometimes the abiding thing could be like, well, I just abide all day long. And it's like, ah, he, he wants to hang out with you alone. He wants your undistracted. Distracted attention. Ask yourself the question sometimes. No condemnation. This question just helps you. Is how often does God, the only one that has access to your heart and mind, so how how often in a day is the phone off, the computer closed, and He's the only one that has access? Because our quality of marriage wouldn't be much if there wasn't times in our lives that she had unhindered access to my heart and vice versa, right? Now, a lot of other life is seven kids running around. And we do that out of friendship. That's abiding. But it's always both. So good. So good. So, so good. Yeah. I just want to speak to the moms. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> And we laugh because Andy's super like robotic. But in in it, and it's funny because I'm in a, a season, different well, different season because our oldest is seventeen, down to nine, and then we took in a two year old, but he has delays, so he's more like having a one year old. Um, so it kind of put us back into a season. And so I remember even after our oldest was born, Asher, um, and, you know, he's waking up through the night. Like, it was a sudden and drastic shift, you know, that it's like, I'm not sure that I can meet with Jesus the same way that mm. I used to. I remember waking up one morning, and like, yes, woke up before the baby, you know, and like, have a quiet time. And then I don't remember how much later, I opened my eyes because I fell asleep. And like, so frustrated. I mean, we were so frustrated making the bed. And I just felt like the Lord was like, and, well, and why did you think that was the only time we were going to interact today? <laughs> I was like, I missed my window. He's gone. Wow. <laughs> He's done. It's over. Wow. So it's like so grateful. I, I told Andy too, but he laughs and we joke. I'm like, I have like an inefficiency anointing it's that true. follows my life. <laughs> I was like, I, need to break that I can come up with a great plan for the day. And I'm like, yeah, Destroy, nothing guaranteed. goes that way. Whether it's, it's like, whatever, <laughs> someone calls for something and needs help, which are, or just whatever. Even first day of school, they finally all started school on Monday. Like, except for, and Lolo was with his birth mom, and there was like plans, and Valor got sent home because he has a cough. <laughs> and a running nose, I'm like, okay, help. Like, no matter how hard I try, nothing goes efficiently. But yeah, so, so grateful like for that set apart time, especially when you have little ones. I think with Deb, I feel like we kind of need to talk about this. Even yeah. At the arc, like, how do you, I remember hearing Darlene talk about it. I remember thinking, God, how do you not backslide once you got children? Not as in like rebellion, but like keep going forward in yeah. my relationship with you. So there's all kinds, maybe their season is more like, I can't, it doesn't look like yeah. I'm waking up at hours, 5 a.m. and, and having two hours with yeah. Jesus. But I 
what does it look like to find those? So especially yeah. speak that to the moms in the room, especially when you have little ones and you're in that like super physically exhausting phase of life that you wonder if you're ever going to sleep again or, so you know, all of that. So don't compare yourself to the person who was like, wow, they just spent two hours in the prayer room, you know, or whatever. And like, I'm probably backslidden and don't love Jesus. Well, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And just, he'll show you how to, to do it. So super good. Yeah, I just had a few more thoughts, but I feel like Andy covered tons of ground. I mean, we would all know the scripture from Proverbs that says, like, it's the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. Yes. And the glory of kings and queens to search it out. Yes. And on this end of eternity, where, where God is still somewhat hidden, it's the high honor of our, like, like humanity yeah. to seek the Lord in faith. Like, we won't have that chance in eternity. When, imagine when God is fully unveiled, what John saw in Revelations 4, you know, where day and night, night and day for an eternity, angels, seraphim, which means burning one, are singing unceasing adoration, speaking of God's holiness. You know, they're covered with eyes, they burst into flame. And just imagine what they're seeing. It's like God reveals just the attribute of who he is, like I'm faithful, or I'm Jehovah Jireh, or I'm Jehovah Rapha, and people just get just and like thrown down for like 30,000 years. And then by the time you get up, you're like, because it's unveiled glory. It's like the radiance of the face of Jesus fills the heavens. And, and then by the time after 30,000 years, after you're kind of like taking it in your resurrected body, then again, like another wave of God's glory and just trying to fully capture and behold all the beauty of who God is. And we, it, our automatic response in eternity will be to worship because we will be overwhelmed yes. by the beauty of God. But on this end of eternity, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of us to actually seek him yes. with joy in our heart and to pursue him. And, and I've just been thinking a lot like the transcendent God who spoke all of creation into existence. That we could actually move his heart. We could actually minister to him. You know, like, I think about my children and when they jump on top of me and they tell me how much they love me or when I'm changing a diaper and my son looks at me in the eyes and says, I love you, Abba. Like, how deeply it moves me as a father when they give their a willing affection mm-hmm. and they just state that, you know? Yeah. And that I'm trying to get it in, not that I figure it out, but, like, trying to get greater revelation of, like, that I can actually move this God's heart. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I think Francis Chan shared this with us one time, but he was talking about the greatest commandment. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, this is the greatest commandment. He said, what would it be like if I, uh, if he said, if I stand up here, stood up here as Francis Chan said, hey, I committed adultery, I broke this commandment. People would look at him and be like, oh my gosh, Francis, like make a big deal of it, which it would be a big deal. No one wants moral failure. But he's like, what if I came up here and said that I broke the greatest commandment? Like, I haven't been intimate with Jesus for four or five, six days or whatever it is. He would be like, oh, that's something nice to say. But they wouldn't carry it with that same weight, although it's still considered the greatest commandment. So it's like, I feel like we need, uh, we need a renewed faith and perspective on the privilege it is to be intimate with God. Yes. And, um, I shared the story before, like in DTS and stuff at times, but I got a personal invitation, I don't know, six, seven years ago to go to the White House. 
uh, meet with President Obama, talk about Asian American issues in America, uh, faith-based issues. And um, I remember it was like such a big deal because like uh, if, if you, my background is like, um, like selling drugs, I was making like 25 grand a month doing that, well, a couple felonies, you know, before I got saved. And, uh, and then uh, barely graduated, it took me like nine years to graduate with a bachelor's degree. I just kind of did pieces here and there, you know, when my twin sister went to Yale on a full scholarship, right? So it's like, so I was just imagining like how privileged it is for like me to be there and say for my mom, how proud she would be, like, you know? Um, and I, I remember being like so enamored with this invitation that I meet the president. And the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to me. He said, Sono, you did not ask me if you should go. And, I, and, and then when I started asking him, and it's a long story, but in this dialogue, the Lord said, why are you so impressed with this invitation? Like, why is it such a big deal? And I'm like, man, he's the president of the United States. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to shake Obama's hand and tell him that Jesus died for him, right? <laughs> and, and the Lord's like, why are you so impressed with this invitation? And... It's interesting to think about because, you know, and I said, God, it's the, he's the most powerful man in the world. He has so much influence. And then the Holy Spirit so, spoke so clearly to me. He says, who do you think you're meeting with right now? Wow. Wow. And I realized still I am on my own journey to give wow. God his rightful place yeah. and who I actually get to meet with daily. Amen. And not only meet with, but like Emmanuel, God with me and then like Christ in me. The hope of glory. Mm, mm. And I, I'm not there. Like, I'm on a journey, right? To, like, try to discover, like, what this intimacy looks like. But try to give the Lord his rightful place. And my connection with him. Yeah. Yeah. such an amazing community, but it's also, you know, filled with temporary community members. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on guarding your heart, being open, building your close people, doing life with such a transient group of, mm -hmm. you know, people, you know, the tech community can be transient, mm -hmm. especially when it's like, hey, I can't wait to get a promotion at this company move around and God's calling me here and I just wonder how you have guarded that in your heart and, and built something really <laughs> solid but also knowing that the Lord moves people around. Good question. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this will be helpful. I feel like we're a little bit of an enigma on this. We, we just sold our house uh, in January. Right down there? Yeah, really yeah. close, walking distance from here. Yeah, one block lived there. There's a miracle story, just the way it all happened. But we've lived in community for 19 of our 20 years of marriage. And so um, we counted all the people that have lived with us in that house and in about nine years, and we've had 59 people live in our home. 
Um, and I think 21 of them have lived with us for over a year. John Mark, who's here, lived with us for how many years did we live together? Seven or eight years, which is still, and um, and so it's the only thing we've really ever known, and uh, started our second year of marriage. But that's not—I totally get—that's not normal, and I'm not even saying that that's like the goal. Um, but I would say we have we have experienced the benefits of that in a pretty remarkable way. I would say even like someone like John Mark has drastically affected the lives of our kids, and there is something about having—you know—we have teenagers now and some younger ones where you, as a parent you can, you can do everything you can to pour into them and disciple them, but you cannot replace an older hero in their lives yeah. who's living the same values and the same vision. So John Mark has had a huge impact on our kids' lives. They would look to him like, a, like family. And so we've really benefited from that. But of course we've had to, um, you know, we've been pretty selective on who lives with us. It's been a lot of, you know, young leaders that either we've been pouring into or they're pretty mature and they're coming in like just doing life together. But we have loved it. It's been absolutely amazing. And I can't, our kids, if it's just us at dinner, they're just like, this is boring. <laughs> I'm like, we're nine. Like, we're bigger than like four normal families. And <laughs> Um, but they, it's just what, it's just how they've, we've lived our lives. And, um, I would say that there have just been tremendous benefits to it. So I think community living is phenomenal. I, can it be done wrong? Absolutely. You know, and maybe it's worked so well because Holly and I have always been the strong, you know, leaders of the home, setting the culture, setting the environment, inviting people into it. But because of that, it's been phenomenal. It's been absolutely, and I haven't felt we've needed to guard our hearts. I think we've helped. I think our kids have all felt that there's been, we've received something from everyone yeah. who's lived with us and we've been able to give something to everyone who's lived with us. Many of our long-term teams around the world now, are their leaders lived with us for a season. And I think we'll probably look back as maybe it was the most effective thing we ever did was having young leaders live with us. But I get that's not normal or is everyone even called to that? Some families are just like, there's no way we could do that. And I'm like, I get, I get it, totally, don't do it. Um, but I do think there's tremendous value in it if it's done right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys have done the same. Yeah, we have. Yuri and I have been married 12 years. We went on our honeymoon, and then we moved into the refugee community in Atlanta, and then we had recovering drug addicts living on our living room floor. It was <laughs> maybe, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't uh, the best thing. <laughs> no. Um, um, and I think, uh, actually, uh, just to speak specifically about the guarding your heart piece, um, I, I think it's important, you know, for boundaries and, you know, of course not everyone's called to live that way, but, you know, I just try my best to just keep looking at Jesus and um, that he doesn't try to guard his heart from me, you know what I mean? Like he lives with an abandonment of love. Not that he's reckless in it only, although Corey Asbury sings that song. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but you know what I mean? Like in the sense that there's this like constant like guardedness, but he's, he's, he's living his life quite open. Uh, and his heart towards me with courageous love. Um, I remember there was a guy named Josh who uh, he was one of the first people who ever lived with us. Yuri and I just got married. Uh, we went on our honeymoon. We toured across the United States of America, like uh, just preaching in different places, hip hop groups, all kinds of stuff. It was really great. Lots of people being saved. So this guy, he was, when I met him, he was the most broken person I've ever, ever met. Like, so broken. Uh, he was homeless by the time he was 12. His father was a registered sex offender and all kinds of other things. 
Um, by the time he was 18, he got married. By the time he was 19, he was divorced. By the time he was 19, he joined the Navy. By the time he was 20, he was uh, dishonorably discharged. And um, he had ended up at this event. And uh, I remember, make a long story short, um, we met, led him to Jesus. He started touring with us. And when it was all done, he's like, son, I have nowhere to go. So he's like, can I come and live with you? And I was like, holy smokes, like, this is crazy. And I was like, as newlyweds, it was not the ideal way, you know, because he did end up moving with us. He slept on our living room floor. We had two couches. We moved one up. He slept back there. <laughs> Try to give him his own space, you know what I'm saying? You know, just a little bit of seat, a little two-foot wall, you know, behind the couch. And, uh, and, and, um, and in that, um, he was so, it was not the ideal first year. Like, Yuri and I are like, eating dinner together, and I was like, oh, I love you, baby, so much. Just looking her in the eyes, like, like we're going to change the world together. And then here's Josh's 230 pounds, like, hey, pass the potatoes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not what I thought the life would be like. <laughs> yeah, I was like, but, um, um, and, and he would have so many outbursts of anger, you know, and, like, be upset. And he would always say, like, you don't love me. You're not, you're not. You don't care about me. I'm like, oh my gosh, bro. Like, I barely have any money. I give you half of what I have. You know what I mean? Like, you're eating me out of house and home. And it's like, this is so inconvenient. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and I one day I was complaining to the Lord. And you know, I was. I was like, God, I'm done. Like, my, I'm blameless. Like, my hands are clean. Like, I can totally kick them out and, like, stand before you righteous, right? It's like, and, uh, and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. He says, so the love is patient. And I'm like, yeah, thank you for the encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it had kind of that corrective sauce on it. <laughs> Not the encouraging sauce. And, uh, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, like, you know, patience has the ability to be inconvenienced over and over and over again, yet not get upset or angry. Wow. And, it, and it led me on this journey of, like, uh, and I stumble upon, you know, the life of Jonah. And, you know, um, God sends Jonah, this reluctant prophet, 200 years. Um, Nineveh was, was disobedient to God, but yet God's like just walking alongside of him. Like, hey, one day you'll turn. One day you'll open your heart. One day I'll show you my love. And then the moment their heart cracks open a bit, like God rushes in. He goes, I choose mercy. Oh. I love you. You know, I love you. And I was like, of course, I'm not eternal in love like God, but I can, I can try to become a little bit more like him, you know. And in it, God showed me, son of... He said, you think I brought Josh into your life uh, for you to reach him. But actually, I brought Josh into your life for him to reach you. So I want to show you how, how little love you have and how you can grow in my love. And, um, and it was so convicting. And, and by no means have I figured it all out. But, but I realized like, I, the goal is to learn how to love like Jesus. And I'm not saying, okay, tomorrow everyone find a crackhead and bring him into your living room. So don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not what I'm saying. But there's uh, something about, especially our Western society, where we make more money, you know, and then we actually become more isolated. We go in, we get a bigger house, a bigger yard, a bigger fence around our yard. And if, you're, if the fence is not big enough, get a taller gate. And we actually become more and more and more and more and more and more disconnected. And I know for us, Yuri and I have intentionally said, like, Lord, we need to almost intentionally inconvenience ourselves in a world that's so convenient so that we can become a little bit more consecrated, you know, um, not to like intentionally create suffering. That's not what I'm saying, but to make sure that we are learning how to love like Jesus and not 
overly like trying to isolate or create too many boundaries and walls when it comes to real life relationships. And, uh, and we haven't figured it out, but we've also done the same for the last 12 years. We've had so many people live with us and it's been the greatest joy. Like I just think of the last house, we had six girls who lived with us. We called it Sunno and the sorority house. <laughs> and uh, I, when they all came in, we gave them a journal. I said, hey, part of your commitment to live here is you need to be intercessors for our children. And they filled uh, notebooks with words for our kids. They developed their own relationships. They're like heroes, like a John Mark, you know, would be to our own children. They, our kids' lives have been completely transformed and changed by those that, who were around us, you know. And, uh, and so it's, it's still learning how to do it. A, a great book is Life, uh, Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've read it. Or True Biblical Fellowship by Art Katz. Those are two really good books on life on life. You know, and I think we all have to find what works, you know, and I think I'm with Andy. We're like an enigma, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, but I, I just encourage everyone to search the scriptures. Like, what is community? We, we say this word quite a lot, you know, but to search the scriptures and see what God says about it all. So good. Yeah. Very timely to give in. Yeah. You can see. So uh, I, I think you, know, you have the benefit of we, we come here once in a while, you know, we got this, you kind of get the benefit of hearing a lot of these. So I'm kind of curious to see, like, what has God shown you about the role of tech, kind of the, the vision, kind of, and the role that tech will play, uh, and how does that role, like, kind of fit in with, like, there's education, there's government, you know, there's all these other sectors. So, In some ways, I feel like you guys know that better than us. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, you're the experts, yeah. and um, you're in it day in and day out in a way that I could, you know, I could really deeply articulate to you the, the need for reaching the unreached in, in vast areas of the world that have no access to the gospel, because that's a big, we're immersed in that world. So in some ways, I, I think it's just so important that you guys feel you have a voice and that what you intuitively know and what the Lord has shown you, you're able to lead out in, and that you're heard, and that you're able to walk in your in your discernment, your prophetic unction, you know, the things God has shown you, because he's going to show you more in, immersed in that world than he is those who are immersed in other worlds, because it's your authority, it's your place of impact, and Absolutely. so I almost think, you know, you're going to have a way better answer to that. Ours is going to be a little bit more taking a step back, and, and for us it's sort of a no-brainer, and that the, the great need for believers in the tech world, it's just massive. And I think that tech warfare is only going to increase and probably is the warfare of the future. But again, I feel like I'm so dumb saying that. You guys are like, yeah, the, Andy, we know. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I, I just think that's an obvious statement. But I think from the outside looking in is the... Uh, to have believers in Babylon is so key to Babylon's transformation. <laughs> and uh, and the, the warfare that's going to take place, the pressure, the persecution, the onslaught of humanism and secularism is only going to increase. And uh, the need to have believers like Levin scattered across the whole world is so critical for real revival. Because real revival will come at a breaking point. Yeah. And um, and when and that breaking point comes, it can't be that there every believer is a youth pastor, worship leader, and pastor. 
You know what I mean? And it's like the breaking point hits. People are desperate. People are hopeless. People are broken. You know, 1.5% of the world is antagonistically evil against the gospel. 99% are sheep without a shepherd. Wandering, lost, hopeless, <laughs> depressed, discouraged, right? In the, in the lost world. We, the most of the lost world is not opposed to the gospel. Most of the lost world is, is broken and hurting, you know? Yeah. And so to have believers scattered across the earth in the spheres of society, like leaven, is, is what will actually catch the revival that God wants to, the great awakening in America. It won't be, um, we won't fit them in churches, it won't be because they've ever even heard of a, a pastor or a worship leader. It'll be because there was a believer in the cubicle next to him. Yeah. And when things got really hard, they knew where to go. And that's at a discipleship and evangelistic level. At a big picture level of tech's influence around the world. I mean, I think the Holy Spirit is the greatest creator in all of human history. And the ideas and the innovation that he wants to give believers that will that will innovate every area of the gospel from mercy and compassion and education and um, healthcare and community development to every element of the gospel. There, there's no place in the world more set up for that advancement than the tech world. And so believers empowered by the Holy Spirit with creativity and innovation is like, it's the future. So I say at a grassroots discipleship evangelistic level it's super important but also at a big picture reformation level and the kingdom of god moving through the spheres of society it's so critical what you guys are doing absolutely so critical absolutely yeah i'll i'll uh add to a couple of those thoughts i think andy what andy said is right i think we're looking to you guys yeah like hey what do you think right you know the holy spirit will speak within the understanding and the frameworks that we have the innovations it's like you're you know like we're not this is not our expertise it's yours yeah and that's why we we say like we need you guys yeah and um i think one is you know, we were talking about how can we actually formalize, like just on a practical level, how can we formalize more training so we can send people back into the tech uh, tech world as missionaries and see, the, see themselves as missionaries, just like we would raise up a team to send to South Africa or to Turkey or to Morocco. How can we do the same? And I think we're going to discover that together. And I think we need your guys' input and your insight to help shape the way forward in that way. We can teach you guys on like mission skills and then you can take those, but you would know how to contextualize it in the tech world just like we would teach someone to contextualize in a Muslim world. So, so I think to see yourselves as a missionary is going. And then I think when it comes to the actual ideas of how to utilize tech, I think we'll see thousands of ideas sprout up from this place. Um, we did this huge campaign in Myanmar, for example, uh, where we brought 178 different organizations and movements together. Tens of thousands were um, getting saved. We brought in close to a million Bibles. We started hundreds of businesses. We were working directly with the cabinet, the vice president, on some constitution amendation stuff. And that's what actually catalyzed the coup that's happening there right now. Um, you would never hear that in the news. But, but actually, the most fruitful thing that came out of that was a few guys who had a background from Silicon Valley. And, uh, and they started thinking about, like, how can we actually reach the unreached? They're like, this is great. You guys are doing these huge gatherings. There's signs, wonders, miracles. Thousands are responding to the gospel and to these outreaches that you're doing. But, but man, Myanmar actually has one of the highest Facebook saturations. They're like, what if we created tailor-fitted uh, ads that were um, in their 
heart language and that we're proving gospel material and we put it in front of them and we just target it. We're like, okay, yeah, cool, do that. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, hey, that's a great idea. I don't even know half of the things that you just said. You know what I mean? Like, just do it, right? They created a chat bot. You know, it was called, uh, it was, we were working with Francis Chan on this, so they called it Pastor Frank. It looked like, it looked like <laughs> Francis Chan, bald head, goatee, you know what I mean? But, and, uh, and in it, we saw about 10 million unreached people hear the gospel for the very first time through wow. Facebook. Come on. For like, for literally 0.5% of the amount of money we spent on all this other evangelistic stuff. And we realized like, oh my goodness, these guys have the answer and they're thinking missionally and they're utilizing their giftings and their skills and they're coming up with these solutions. Same thing with Nick, with what's happening with ships, for example. Like we're we're looking at 678 remote islands in the Pacific where where you could only get to by a ship. What would educational reform look like? And as we're talking, so many of the ideas are actually coming from our believers in tech. Versus it coming from like, hey, missionaries like trying to be wannabe, wannabe techies, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we're like, hey, lead us. Like, we need yeah. you guys to do it. Lead us. And in that, we'll come on, we'll, we'll be generating all these different ideas. And I, uh, that's where our hope that will actually flow out of this place. But I would say to you guys, you guys actually have the answer. You know? So. So good. Yeah, I would just say, like, if I could piggyback on that, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like what Seno and Yuri did like, when I had dinner with them is like gave me a permission. Yes. Yeah. Like, just what they did with you guys, like they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, let me tell you what I think. Like I'm seeing, like, I'm seeing charts inside of Dropbox and Facebook that we're going to reach every single person within the next 20 years with a device. And I read the scriptures and it said, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to every nation, then the end will come. And I lay those two over and I'm like, okay, let's go. Right? <laughs> and we have a role to play. Yeah, and if our time. companies are big reaching time. every person on the planet yes. and we're not reaching every person on the planet with the gospel, then what are we doing? Let's go. What are we doing? So and these guys are like, so and Wyoming Kona, I feel like has, has just been so uniquely positioned. I believe it is a heart posture that they carry. Um, we've all experienced maybe other experiences. What I was, it's the heart posture that they carry. They do carry the Father's heart. They've purified their hearts um, to come alongside of us to accelerate what the Lord wants to do. I believe, you know, I, I talk about Facebook a lot. Obviously, other companies have a role to play in this. I want to seek the Lord on the spiritual inheritance yeah. of our company. Yes. But specifically for Facebook, I'm like, man, the spiritual inheritance of Facebook is to be a Trojan horse to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's already reaching 2 billion people around the world. There's 6 billion of these in the world. It's discipling the nations. Yeah. So true. Whether we like it or not. So true. And not according to the kingdom of God yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so... The church, unfortunately, has not seen the opportunity of the tool that technology is yet. The enemy has driven a very real wedge between technology and the church um, because he knows the power when we work together, right? The goal of, of Facebook and Google, these other companies, is to reach every planet on the earth. Guess who has done the most work in these underdeveloped third world countries? Who has been there? Who has been going there? And where Facebook and Google wants to go? It's the underground church that YWAM has 
I mean, they have bases literally in every country around the world, right? Like, we've got brothers and sisters there already. So we are, maybe the world would say unlikely partners, but we actually, like, if tech wants to accomplish their goal, and we want to accomplish the Great Commission, it is actually one of the same. And I believe, you know, Jesus had 12. You guys, he had 12. And they went on to change the world for forever, right? And we're sitting here in this hot room waiting for cold pizza because of those 12 men being Sam, I just, I, I feel so the Father's heart yeah. of a merciful, merciful God that has allowed technology to be created, has allowed technology to go to the ends of the earth, to disciple his children, to disciple the nations. And we are the first fruits of, I believe, God building an infrastructure to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is the new frontier. This yeah, is absolutely, absolutely like this is the new frontier of missions, and they are excited and willing to so to have us play yes, our body parts. Please, right? and that please, please. That's absolutely my call to us. Is I want to be properly functioning body parts. Yeah. All right, and I don't think we're there yet. I think there's a lot of things that I think the Lord opportunities for us for the Lord, and I believe why I'm coming. And, and they're not our end of the are obviously. Getting alone with Jesus is our end all be all, but they are uniquely positioned to come alongside of us um, to play their body parts really well. And as we come along with our body parts, our perspective, right? Each of you are carrying incredible revelation. If I could, if I could be so bold to say, each one of you have been in the closet, have been in the secret place, you know, the last however many years, especially in the last two years of COVID. You're coming in here hot. Yeah, You're coming yeah, in so. here like, man, the revelation you guys are carrying. So let's steward it. Yes. Let's yeah, go forward yeah. in confidence. Absolutely. And, and, they, and maybe that's where we can transition to ministry to pray for us, yes. to really commission us yeah. um, forward boldly, not in what our own capabilities are, but in who he is and, and yeah. what he wants yeah. to accomplish. But if you could maybe like pray yeah. and, and Really, commission us. Yes, please. Hey, Christy, can I ask one, one quick question that's kind of related to that? Um, I've come here a couple of times and like, I gain so much. I get so many awesome things. One thing that I'm getting is why man culture. That it just kind of like invades me. And then what I'm noticing is that as I go back, I'm kind of bringing that over there. And so when I look at Silicon Valley culture, it's so opposite of Wakwam culture. There's this performance-based meritocracy there. And this is all about grace. It's just, boom, it's complete water and oil. So as, I, I believe like a, 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 a portion of our purpose is to catch the culture and yeah. bring it there. Love that. So like, I just want you guys to comment on that. Like, what do we do when we blend cultures? Like, some people will say you can never replace culture. Like, it's so ingrained in yeah. the DNA. But I believe, like, the culture there in Silicon Valley needs to be redeemed. Yeah. And, like, catch this stuff and bring it there. Yeah. Smush it over. Yes. I, I, don't, <laughs> right. I don't know how right. it's going to work. Right. Prayer. Um, but I thought you guys Pray with authority. Man, yeah, that's so good. You know, we're sending 90 um, YWAM Kona to uh, East Palo Alto. Oh, I can't believe.
can't believe it. I mean, some of our youngest, most dynamic on-fire crew, and they get there October 1st for three months. They're, wow. they're going to live there um, in a big apartment complex with a bunch of people and, um, and work with Francis. And Fremont's the largest Afghan population in America. So they're going to be working in Fremont some, but we're, we're just so excited to see this partnership get stronger and stronger and feel like we really are going to help pioneer something there. Yeah. So we're committed long term to, uh, to what's happening in Fremont, East Palo Alto, beyond.